Acknowledge, accept, and create. Pretty wise words, don't you think? This episode is all about how creating or creativity helps us be and become resilient. And it probably isn't what you think. I'm Dr. Megan Wilkin, and this is the Resilience Plus Podcast. Here we are at the start of season four. Now, some of you have been with us since our very first episode way back in February of 2021, and some of you are joining us for the very first time. Either way, we're happy you're here. We're also happy to start off our fourth season with RMC alumni and Canadian Space Agency astronaut Colonel Jeremy Hansen. Born and raised in and around London, Ontario, Jeremy grew up knowing that he wanted to explore space. And after an ongoing military career as a CF-18 pilot, continued education and training, and persistent hard work, Jeremy's dreams are about to become reality as he takes on his first assignment as an astronaut with the historic Artemis II mission. Projected for the fall of 2025, the Artemis II mission will be the first crewed flight test of the larger Artemis program, which, according to the Canadian Space Agency's website, is, quote, set to create a durable lunar presence and pave the way for human exploration of Mars. Talk about seriously cool business. But like most big life accomplishments, there's a lot of time spent in training and preparation, which is the portion of the overall goal where Jeremy is currently working. Now, thankfully for us, he was able to carve out some time in his very busy training schedule to sit down and call us all the way from Houston, Texas. Here is a candid conversation between CSA astronaut Jeremy Hansen and Resilience Plus Ambassador Officer Cadet Courtney Latour. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another exciting Resilience Plus podcast. I'm Officer Cadet Courtney Latour, and today I'm very excited to announce that we have a special guest, Colonel Jeremy Hansen, astronaut with Artemis II and RMC alumni. Thank you for coming out, Jeremy. Yeah, it's my pleasure to speak with you today, Courtney. Um, so I'd just like to get the ball rolling because I know you have a very jam-packed schedule. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Um, so uh, I grew up in a, on a farm in southern Ontario outside of London, uh, became very passionate about flying and space exploration, and therefore uh, ended up joining the Air Cadets. And eventually that led me to the Royal Military College system. I went to the College Militaire Royale in Saint-Jean for a year and then finished at RMC and um, followed that dream of flying, became a CF-18 fighter pilot but always had in the back of my head that I wanted to explore space. And so in 2009, I joined with the Canadian Space Agency. I'm still active duty military, but now I work down here in Houston, Texas, where I'm chatting with you from. And uh, I'm on the cusp of getting ready to go on the Artemis II mission around the moon. So it's a pretty exciting time, pretty busy time in my life. Um, And I'm also uh, married and uh, the proud father of three uh, young adults now. Um, two of them are in their, their grade 12 year of high school, and the other one is first year of university. And, uh, and so just really grateful for uh, all the, the great aspects of my life that I have. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. You have such um, a unique journey, and it's fantastic to um, hear about your experience and your drive. And I guess the passion that's always been in the back of your mind about being an astronaut, it must be so fantastic to see your lifelong dreams coming true. Um, this really harkens back to one question I have in the back of my mind, and it's what does resilience mean to you? 
Resilience is a, a great word to consider because for me, it represents something that every single human deals with and struggles. Um, well, with the struggles and challenges of life. And resilience is an aspect that a human has in order to cope with those challenges. I don't know why life is the way it is, but it seems to be one of those absolutes. No matter who you are on this planet, you will have struggles in your life. And you and I could stack them. And we could look at different people and we could stack them against one another. Um, and you and I could compare struggles. We could look at some and say, gosh, I'm so grateful I don't have that struggle. That just seems like an impossible task. And someone might look at my struggles and stack them as, you know, very simple struggles. And there, there would be, you know, there would be a, a truth to that comparison. But when you break it down, every single human that I have ever met struggles inside their own mind, inside their own body, wherever they are, there's always something that they could view as could be better or they could do better or that they should fix in the world there's always something that people are struggling against and the resilience is that tool or that ability that a human has to continue to work to strive and hopefully thrive in that environment of struggle absolutely that was such um, a thorough answer and you made mention about the universality of life and the universality of struggle and making sure not to compare one's experience with somebody else. Um, and it just makes me wonder, is there a specific tool or intervention that you use uh, to remain mindful or organized and aware of your mental well-being? I mean, you talk a little bit about resilience and using this specifically um, in response, but I'm curious if there's anything in particular that you use. So I've never really boiled it down to a tool, but, you know, just sort of thinking briefly about it. Um, I do the same thing in my life as I sort of would do in an operational environment or, you know, if I think about flying a CF-18, for example, and I have an emergency situation, or I think about being an astronaut on the space station and we have a fire we have to deal with. Or I think about a situation in my life where I look at something and it's not the way I wanted it to be or the way I want it to remain. You know, these are all, they're all kind of similar in how I deal with it. And the, the first thing to do is to acknowledge. So acknowledge is sort of to look at, you know, what's happening. What are the emotions I'm feeling about this? Maybe I'm feeling fear because I'm worried I may not survive this situation. Or maybe I'm feeling sadness because of something that has happened in my life or maybe I'm feeling disrespected. So it's important to acknowledge first what's going on. Why am I even aware of this? Sometimes I equate things like fear, some of those emotions to like a smoke detector in my life. They're alerting me to something that is happening and that's useful. And I want to acknowledge that and be, you know, to fully sort of embrace that situation. So the first part's acknowledge. And then often I find it's important to accept. Um, you know, in an emergency situation, there's not really a lot of time that you have to sit in that situation. But in other aspects of your life, you may have to deal with this for a while. You may be, you may have a life situation that it's going to be a while before you can find a way out of it. And so it's important to accept where you are and to realize that, you know, you still need to, to live with the situation that you're struggling with. So acceptance is an important point. And then the third aspect to the way I deal with things is to create. 
And it's just really important in life to realize you can create what you want to create. You may not love where you are at the moment, or you may not love what is going on, but there is a path forward. There is still uh, a future existence that can be positive for you. And so get into that creative mindset. Where, what do I want to achieve? Where do I want to end up? What can I do today that will at least get me started in that direction? I was on this uh, backpacking trip and uh, well, it was actually a training uh, trip with, uh, with the astronaut corps. And we go on these, um, these excursions. This one's from the National Outdoor Leadership School, Knowles. And one of the instructors was explaining to me how he views some of the students that come through that training program. Because, you know, when you're out in the backcountry with just your backpack and the weather is miserable, it can, it can be a miserable experience, for example. And the, what he relayed to me is that sometimes people get trapped in this mindset of this is my new forever. This is so bad. This is going to last forever. And, uh, and I think the little tools that I described to you that I use right now, this acknowledge, accept, and then create is just a good way to sort of prevent your mind from turning it, something that is um, transient in nature into this perception that your life is ruined. Absolutely. Um, I love that you break it down into steps. Um, and you discuss the temporality of struggle and how it's, it's not your forever. I think that's really inspirational and a lot of people can really um, run with that. Um, I have a question that's kind of been bothering me for a little while. Um, I did some deep diving in Google <laughs> before interviewing you and I learned that in preparation for space missions, um, some astronauts like yourself attend simulation training at the Aquarius Laboratory. Can you tell us more about the NASA Extreme Environment Mission Operations or um, NEMO and your experience with NEMO 19 a little bit? Sure. Uh, NEMO is uh, one of the most extraordinary life experiences that I've had to date. So we, we use this underwater habitat off the coast of Key Largo, Florida. Um, you can sort of visualize it in your mind as a you know, an RV on the ocean floor, except it doesn't drive around, but it's about the size of, a, of an RV, um, has six bunks in it. So there's room for six people to live down there. In my case, we lived down there for a week and the, the depth of the ocean floor in that area is about 60 feet of water. So you're not super, super deep, but for anyone that knows scuba diving, you are deep enough that you are saturated with nitrogen. So if you have to come to the surface during a Nemo mission, you will get a very, very serious case of the bends and you know very high probability of not surviving uh, that. And so you are constantly managing risk, almost as if you're in space. You know, if you have a serious problem inside the, the Aquarius habitat, you can't just swim to the surface. You can't just put on your scuba gear and go to the surface and be safe. You have to deal with it down there. So an important element of a Nemo mission for us is this aspects that we're managing real risks, just like we would on a space mission. So we're taking a team of people, we're putting them in a situation where they're managing a numerous different risks. I've described one of them to you, but there are other risks living on the ocean floor. And then we add in like real science objectives that we're trying to accomplish, things that we're testing in that, that habitat that we want to use on the space station in the future. In our case, we were also testing time delay. So um, if you had a crew on Mars, for example, the minimum time delay you could have to communicate with them would be five minutes each way, just because of the distance between Earth and Mars and the speed of light. And so 
we were simulating a five minute calm delay with our mission control. So if they said something to us, we wouldn't receive it for five minutes and then it would take another five minutes for our answer to get to mission control. So we were figuring out how do we operationally work around that. And so we lived down there on the ocean floor as a team for um, seven days. And then we would go out on these simulated spacewalks where we would be out in the ocean and trying to achieve certain objectives as if we were exploring Mars and doing geology on Mars. Um, and it was just a really extraordinary experience, but probably the highlight for me was just living on the ocean floor for seven days. I mean, I have a completely different perspective of the ocean than I had before I went there. Even though I had dove many times in the ocean previously, I really felt like a visitor before. In this case, I was living down there. I started to realize, wow, like, because the Aquarius habitat is a living reef, you're starting to see what these, what the marine life does on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I realized like firsthand that marine life has habits, just like you and I, you know, we get up at the same time, we go brush our teeth, we have our meals at roughly the same time, while these fish do the same thing. The same fish would be in the same places day after day at the same time. You could set your watch by it. I just found that to be really neat to observe. Um, there's weather down there on the ocean floor. Some days it's really good visibility some days it's not almost as if it's snowing other days it's there's a lot of current as if it's windy and other days it's completely still down there and it was just really neat to experience the ocean in this very different way it was a very it was a significant privilege for me to do that absolutely that's such a fascinating um experience just hearing about it i can almost visualize it um and you talk about the unique circumstances you know much like just living down there, seeing the the world from a different perspective. Um, but it reminds me that it's not just you and you have to work with um, a team and, and work through the different dynamics to achieve objectives. Um, and like, what's the most challenging part of being at zero gravity or being at zero gravity and working through things with, with a team? And how did you overcome these challenges? Mm. I'm really glad you brought up this team concept because I really, it was a big admission on my part because one of the major objectives for us on these expeditions like Nemo or that Knowles, that backpacking expedition that I was talking about is our, what we call expeditionary skills or our, our team skills. And so we want, we use these acute training evolutions to really focus in on our team skills. So we will intentionally build in time to our, into our day to make sure we're discussing friction points, for example, or challenges amongst the team, even just so much as to ask one another, you know, is there an elephant in the room that we aren't talking about? Is there something underlying, maybe an underlying tension in our group that we're not addressing? Just try to force that conversation on a daily basis, maybe even just around the dinner table in the Aquarius habitat, just taking five minutes to ask that question. Sometimes, you know, that can blow up into, you know, 15 or 30 minutes of conversation, but that is really worthwhile, is to constantly being trying to get feedback on how we're perceived in the team, how we're affecting the team. Um, you know, the elements of that for us, communication is a huge one. I mean, often we are misunderstood. Um, when we communicate and often we don't even realize it. And so just sort of circling back to make sure we've been understood the way we, we meant to communicate something. Um, leadership, followership, we talk about that. 
We talk about team care, so taking care of the team. Something that we often find out about ourselves uh, that can be a real risk to teamwork is self-care. And so, um, you know, we have a lot of very motivated people on our astronaut team, for example, that really want to help others, that really want to see the team perform well, but sometimes they do a little too much self-sacrifice. And that can also end up being very limiting for the team in the long run if they aren't intentional about taking care of themselves. And so these are areas that we use to focus the conversation around the dinner table or other parts of the day to make sure we're looking at all those aspects. And, and even now today uh, in our astronaut core, we're very intentional. We spend uh, one day a month where we come together as a core um, we call them core culture days, but that is for us to be intentional about our team culture in our astronaut corps. And this is our international astronaut corps here in Houston. So there's about 60 of us here. And we try to spend a day together every month, so just intentionally building that culture. That's fantastic. Um, I think it's, it's amazing when you talk about the importance of culture and teamwork dynamic. Um, that's so integral in whatever you do. And I love that you discussed communication and how it's so important just to be able to talk and focus on self-care. Um, and it makes me think about a question. I mean, you talk about um, the importance of having a team and it makes me think about um, the unique set of skills that each person brings to the table. And it makes me wonder, do you have a specific resilience role model or somebody that you look up to? If so, who is who is it and why do they represent resilience to you? For me, there's, I mean, there's not really one person that comes to mind. I mean, I guess there's been many influences and if I thought about it for a while, I, I could probably come up with a few, but there, there is one group that jumps out to me that I think is really relevant to our conversation today. And that is the military. As I, you know, have spent more years on this planet and worked with different teams and just seen different groups in action, um, I've become really proud of the Canadian Armed Forces because they have set, you know, as a group, as a collective, they have set probably the greatest, some of the greatest examples for me. Um, you know, there's a couple of things I just really love and appreciate about Canadian Armed Forces. This is a, a group of people who join together to put others above themselves, um, certainly to put their country before self. But even to go further than that and to put other citizens of the planet before their own safety and their own well-being, to simply try to, or with the intention of ensuring that others on this planet have basic needs, are respected. Um, I think that is an extraordinary model for us as humans to look at and to admire. And so I'd have to say, you know, the military has had a very significant influence uh on me and you know the other another thing about the military is you know there's sort of your your last line of defense and not not necessarily with respect to just the war fighting capability but you know as a country when you you reach a point where you have a problem that you're none of your social structure is equipped to deal with who do you call well you call the military the military has been trained to be problem solvers, to be creators. We train our soldiers to go into a situation where there's probably no obvious solution, no great solution, 
but they set that aside and they go into problem solving mode, sort of like we were talking about earlier, you know, the, the military does what I was talking about, you know, they acknowledge where they're at, they accept what's going on, and then they create, they create solutions. Um, and it just makes me really proud of the Canadian Armed Forces. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, if you could give advice to a younger version of yourself, whether it's you know, you being in air cadets or at RMC, or even before all this about being Brazilian, knowing what you know now, what would it be and why? Well, in addition to what I've already shared, um, and this is just, you know, a personal belief um, that in the end, everything, you know, can be all right. Um, you know, you don't, you don't need to worry about things quite as much as we tend to do. And, you know, for me as an individual, as I have. Now, I recently had an experience where I went on a vision quest. This was a, with an indigenous community um, out in Manitoba. And um, it's a really gracious invitation to go on this vision quest. A vision quest is something typically that, uh, you know, a, a young person will, will go through as a rite of passage, as a coming of age ceremony. But um, people of my age might do it as well at a, at a moment in life where they're looking for more guidance or insights or, um, you know, uh, looking for um, a focus for their efforts. And so I had the opportunity to go on this where you are basically, you know, in a nutshell, I spent four days in the woods alone by myself with no food and water um, as this opportunity to just sort of reflect and think and connect connect with spirit, for example. Um, and so one of the you know, takeaways uh, of that reflection, that time I had was that, you know, I spend a lot of time concerned about what's going on in the world. You know, if, if you and I were to sit down and have a chat about world events today, you and I would probably agree that humanity is not doing good enough. That we, you and I are not happy with how humanity is behaving on this planet. We're not working together. And um, we are creating more struggles and more problems for our future. And I spend a lot of my time and energy thinking and worrying about that. And the, the sort of conclusion I came to um, upon further reflection was that, yes, that's true. And I sort of, I do, you know, need to spend some time thinking about that, caring about that, but I don't need to carry the weight of it on my shoulders. I still, my purpose is still to have joy and to find happiness in my existence, to make sure my energy is aligned with trying to make things better, but that I don't have to wait for everything in the world to be fixed or all of my goals or objectives to have been attained before I can be happy and enjoy where I'm at. So that, that was a long way of saying that um, my advice to myself would be, you know, yes, you know, you can, you can acknowledge things that are going on in the world. You can acknowledge you have a lot of work left in your life, Jeremy, to attain your goals, but, the point is to enjoy your life along the way as well. That's fantastic. Um, I think it's so important to um, take the moment to yourself to reflect on you know, what you're, you're grateful for and to really enjoy the moment. And that really struck me. Um, you discussed a little bit about what, what's going on in the world. And it brings me to my final question because I know we're running short on time and makes me really, really sad, but I know you're super busy. Do you have a message for the Naval and Officer Cadets of RMC and other new CAF members with regards to resilience? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
you know, the, the future can be very bright for us. If you look at our past, how humans came to this point in history, we have a lot of successes to celebrate. You know, the real reason humanity has evolved to the state that we're at today, you know, 8 billion people, eclipsing 8 billion people on this planet is because in general, humanity works together. Um, you know, in the past, it, it, was, it was done by smaller communities, you know, people working together to support one another, to make sure that people had the basic needs. And then we, you evolved to the point where you have access energy, where you can you know, ha have people that are working on science and learning and discovering and exploring. Um, and that is how we got here, ultimately through cooperation and collaboration. And I would say at this point in, uh, in history, we have some more evolving to do with how we use our communication system. We have this amazing communication system where we can communicate anywhere in the world right now. We have, you know, the internet where we can share information. We can travel readily. We, you know, there's no longer this myth that people over in some other place in the world are evil. It's just not true. You know, no matter where you go in the world, there are not people problems. You can go and you can meet those cultures. They're amazing. Well, we don't, we never have a people problem. We have leadership problems on our planet. We have to, we have to create solutions to these problems, but we have, we have examples in our past of how, I mean, this is how we got here. We collaborated in the past. We collaborate today. That's how we succeed. We just need to figure out how to collaborate on a global level. And, you know, the Artemis II mission is not going to solve all of these world problems, not even close. But the Artemis campaigns and missions should be an opportunity for humanity to just stop and pause for a moment and look and say, wow, we can do extraordinary things when we set big goals and we come together to achieve them. So my thoughts to the future leaders in the Canadian Armed Forces is one of optimism. I truly am optimistic. I truly believe that by ensuring that our efforts are aligned with adding check marks to the win column of humanity, we can overcome the challenges of tomorrow and we can thrive as a, as a civilization on planet Earth and eventually on other planets as well. Absolutely, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I love your optimism and uh, your hope and specifically when you say that the future is bright. Um, it's, it really speaks to me and I wanted to say thank you so much for coming out here um, to taking the time to do this podcast. Um, I know that our listeners are going to be thrilled to hear it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Courtney. It's wonderful to spend some time uh, with you today. And, you know, that I was just reflecting on my answer there. You know, there is one other aspect to that, to our future leaders. You know, these things are possible. This bright future is very much possible. Um, but it would be misleading to not include the fact we're going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to work for work hard for it. Uh, we're going to have to know what we want and strive for it. And uh, but I know that is in the genes of uh, of our future leaders, the people um, at the military college. And uh, I wish them all um, lots of luck and success in their futures. So thanks for having me today. pleasantly surprised to hear Colonel Hansen incorporate creativity into his concept of resilience. 
you heard him describe three steps, acknowledge, accept, and create. Now, creativity is not something that most people associate with the armed forces because most people's assumption is that creativity is found only in the arts, in the ability to paint a masterpiece or play a complex piece of music on a specific instrument or carve words into poetic meaning. But this viewpoint on creativity, while somewhat correct, is also somewhat short-sighted. According to the VIA Institute on Character, creativity is so much more than the ability to create an artistic piece. It's having an open mind to explore new experiences and having cognitive flexibility. Creativity is the tendency to generate or at least recognize novel ideas, alternatives, or possibilities that may be useful in solving problems and communicating with others. It's a characteristic of people who can form something new and valuable. At its core, creativity allows us to view old problems more openly and with innovation. It opens our proverbial closed minds and broadens our perspective on the current issue that we're trying to resolve, or perhaps a broader issue that has plagued us across time. With these broader definitions in mind, we can see that creativity is not reserved for gifted, artistic individuals, but it is a skill that we can all learn and we can hone it over time regardless of any inherent ability we might have from the beginning. Research consistently demonstrates that training can lead both children and adults to foster their creative skills. Central to creative skills training is the concept of problem finding, which was first conceptualized by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and colleagues in the early 1970s. In this seminal research, they did rely on art and creating still life drawings, but don't let the research design fool you. The application of the findings is relevant to everyday scenarios in both the military and civilian worlds. So the setup went a little something like this. The researchers set up an art studio in their laboratory at the University of Chicago and then invited art students to create still life drawings by selecting objects from 30 available example items. Each person differed in how much time they spent exploring their options. That is, how much time they spent picking up objects, evaluating their feeling, perhaps weight or texture, and how much time they spent figuring out any mechanical aspects of an object and how it worked. Engaging in this play behavior and the process of exploration and evaluation before deciding on how to use it for their upcoming creation was termed problem finding. And in the end, the artists who spent more time problem finding typically produced the most creative drawings after all. Since this seminal paper, several studies have consistently found a relationship between problem finding and creativity. A meta-analysis of all of the published work on this topic from 1960 to 2015 by Abdullah et al. 2020 found that there was a significant relationship between these two variables across the 40 studies that they evaluated. According to research in the field of cognitive psychology, once you have found the problem, creativity helps you solve it by acting on two opposite but complementary mental processes, convergent thinking and divergent thinking, concepts that were originally explained by world-renowned creativity expert J.P. Guilford in 1950. As Simona Bacone 2020 writes, convergent thinking is analytically reductive and critically focused. It consists of conventional, socially embedded, and culturally shared rules, and has an allegiance to acquired knowledge and previous experience. She goes on to explain that when solving a problem, convergent thinking gives the solver the ability to correctly answer, in predictable ways, 
standard questions. And in that way, this cognitive process, according to de Young et al. 2008, does not require a great amount of subjective or original contribution by the individual, but instead it requires appropriate skills, training, and expertise to apply the rule. If we contrast that with divergent thinking, which Bacone writes is mostly unconscious and consists of a synthetically constructive, free-flowing and open-ended kind of mental process through which the solver finds the solution to the problem not by following linear logic, but rather by the activation of non-rational, analogical ways of generating, processing and combining ideas and images. As such, the solver generates varied, original, and even unusual ideas by creating unexpected associations between concepts and finally formulating fresh views and novel strategies for approaching and fixing a problem. In a military context, contemporary operating environments have been characterized as dynamic, uncertain, complex, and at times volatile or ambiguous. This suggests that some situations would benefit from convergent thinking and continuing to do something according to an established protocol. At the same time, a changing environment also requires divergent thinking. Additionally, some researchers have suggested that creativity might look different across strategic versus operational versus tactical environments. For example, Major Matthew Furtado of the United States Army wrote in his monograph on creativity in complex military systems that creativity from the tactical perspective focuses on problem solving and is limited to adaptive behaviors due to the prescriptive nature of doctrine. Creativity from the operational and strategic perspectives, on the other hand, focuses on both problem finding and learning. This is echoed by Charles D. Allen of the U.S. Army War College in his essay on creative thinking for individuals and teams. He notes that at the strategic level, we must be aware of how we define problems since very often the specificity or breadth of the problem statement will limit our problem finding abilities and thus the generation of viable solutions. So how do you go about increasing your problem finding abilities and getting your creative juices flowing? Well, research tells us we need to spend time finding the problem and exploring various options. So one tool we suggest you try is to create what is known as a problem story. As Dr. Ryan Nemec of the VIA Institute on Character states, at first glance, it might seem counterintuitive to spend time focusing on having a problem in the first place. But we promise you there is benefit in the end, so hear us out. Creating a problem story simply means identifying an undesired phenomenon and taking notes of the events that preceded and resulted from the event itself. Consider, for example, a situation in which someone has offended you. The goal is to frame the occurrence from a cause and effect perspective. To start, what are three events that led up to you becoming offended? Perhaps the person said something, or perhaps your frame of mind was negative that day. Can you generate three things that explain the lead up? Now, while you are on your problem finding journey, the next step is to jot down three outcomes. Now these don't have to be novel creations, of course, this can simply be the actual result. Perhaps your body language changed or you ended the conversation abruptly. Perhaps you removed yourself from the situation immediately. What were three things that happened after you became offended? Okay, here's where you get creative. What are three positives that came out of this situation? What did you learn about yourself or the other person or perhaps the environment? 
The problem story extends beyond that because the final step of the process is to associate your creative solutions, the creative positive aspects of the situation to break the cause and effect bonds you created earlier. That is, the final step of the process is to break the bonds between cause and effect by applying your creativity. For example, if in the lead up to becoming offended, the person was talking to you but looking down at their phone and you left the conversation feeling unappreciated or that your time had been wasted perhaps, what could you do to change that cause and effect? Could you speak a little louder to gain their attention? Could you tell a joke or change the subject onto something more interesting? Could you simply wait for them to finish whatever they needed to do on their phone? Could you ask them to put their phone down momentarily because what you need to tell them is very, very important? This tool can extend beyond the social interaction that we've used here as an example. All you ever have to do is find the problem, find the cause and effect, generate possibilities to break that connection between cause and effect, and before you know it, your creativity character strength will be flourishing. Until next time, practice your resilience and stay resilient. The Resilience Plus program is always looking for ways to help its community. If you would like to learn more about the program overall and how it can help you or your team, please reach out to Resilience Plus program director, Dr. Lubna Sharif at resilienceplus at rmc.ca. That's R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-C-E-P-L-U-S at rmc.ca. The opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the speakers and or author. They do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of the Royal Military College of Canada, the Department of National Defence and its members, and or the Government of Canada and its members. The opinions and empirical information expressed in this podcast do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the Royal Military College of Canada, the Department of National Defence or the Government of Canada, and are the sole opinion of the speaker or are information gathered from accredited sources whenever possible. The Resilience Plus podcast is neither intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. It is simply provided for educational purposes only to give RMC and RMC Saint-Jean, Naval and Officer Cadets, staff and faculty access to tools and knowledge that they can use to foster their resilience and to assist them in achieving success. Nothing presented in the Resilience Plus podcast or program is intended to be used for medical diagnosis or treatment. Anyone seeking psychological counseling, therapy, or other forms of mental health services is advised to consult a licensed mental health services provider for support if needed.